gymnastics brown girls do writing brown girls do film brown girls do fundraising brown girls do welcome to the second brown girls do podcast episode Episode two episode two yeah um we made it (laughs) we made it (laughs) we're still here we're still standing we're still strong yes and we are back with another brown girl (laughs) so um my name is amber cabral and I'm here with Takiya Wallace. And we spoke with, for this episode, a young woman named Ronnie Desgupta. Ronnie, yes. And we had a really good conversation with Ronnie on blooming where you're planted, which I think is really interesting. That's kind of everybody's story, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know that we always do it, but... That's kind of everybody's story. Blooming where you're planted. Maybe it isn't where you necessarily thought you would end up, but using that inner light to just shine wherever you are. Bloom where you're planted. (laughs) (laughs) Tiki is always 10 times more positive than I am. Sound like a Hallmark card. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, so this podcast is, we're trying different formats, y'all. We, we're, we're learning, um, And with that being a learning curve, we're going to try a few different things for these first few episodes to see what works the best. And so on this one, you'll hear us jump in on a couple areas just to kind of add a little context or maybe crack a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but we want really to give Ronnie an opportunity to tell her story. So let's jump right in. Hi, my name is Ronnie Dasgupta. I am the Chief Revenue Officer of M3 Global Research, which is a healthcare medical market research company. Can you explain to us what a medical market research company yeah. actually does? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, nobody knows what I do, including my dad. So, <laughs> basically, um, we do all the research uh, before anything goes into advertising. So whatever uh, in things that you see on TV, those those drug ads, we test those out with patients. Um, any, any new drugs that are coming out, we talk to doctors all over the ro- world about it. Um, also like different just surgical objects, devices, anything you can think of in, in the medical uh, industry, the pharmaceutical industry, we do research on all over the world before it comes out with patients and healthcare professionals. Can you say your title again? Like what exactly? The chief revenue officer? Yes. Chief revenue officer. What does that mean? So uh, I really didn't know what it meant until I got the title this year. (laughs) Okay. uh, I I used to run the the U.S. office. I was the president of the North Americas. Um, We combined our U.S. and our EU office together and uh, I became uh, in charge of all of the revenue uh, that's running through M3 Global Research. 
So every single dollar that comes through is uh, basically under my watch. Awesome. So is that, I mean, is that the same as a chief financial officer or? Uh, like I work with the chief financial officer. It's more of like I, I, I'm, I run the sales team. So okay. I run the global sales. So every single dollar that comes in. Um, and so I work with my, my counterpart, who's the CEO, who runs the bottom line. So basically, I make sure that the money comes in on top. He makes sure that we are floating at the bottom. Makes perfect sense. Can you tell us how you ended up with a job title that you weren't unable to explain until <laughs> a short time ago? But you, I mean, you say it so confidently. I think it's, it's great, but um, I'm sure you get asked a lot what you do. I mean, so we're, we're going to take it a step beyond just asking what you do, but ask you, how'd you get there? Yeah, it was a long journey. So I've had probably maybe three to four jobs max in my life. Um, I'm 37. Uh, I think that is very yes, honest. With you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we have had anyone no. else come right no. out and tell no. us. No, <laughs> I have I have avoided the number so much. I forget how old I am in real life half the time. Like, Correct. <laughs> Correct. Correct. But four jobs in 37 is actually that's not a lot of jobs. That's not. I think I've had 20 something, maybe more. <laughs> right. Well. I, I uh, chalk it up to not being uh, as hireable um, and the job market sucking when I was, <laughs> but, um, but I started off um, actually in market research since I was 17 years old. So I was at a company that did um, telephone surveys and also did focus groups. So I was in a telephone interviewer slash recruiter. Like I used to recruit people physically to come in to do taste tests or, you know, look at some kind of a product or whatnot. I'm familiar. I've actually done that job myself. Yeah. I did as well. Freshman year of college. It's the best, it's the best job to have. And it's just such easy money. I was literally the last man standing and the only one that kept on going, um, and doing that type of work for about six years on and off. Like, so I used to come home from college. I went to UT Austin and I used to come home to Houston and this place was literally like five minutes down the street from my parents' house. So uh, I just I just stayed there for six, seven years. Then I went to, to grad school. I went to UT Dallas. I got two master's degrees there. I uh, thought I was going to do big things and get out of market research. And lo and behold, another market research company hires me. So I'm like, great. I literally have no skills. Only market research companies. <laughs> With two degrees, there. you had skills. but. <laughs> <laughs> But I was like, I'm going to escape market research. This is the time. I did not. Uh, but, you know, it's a good thing. Like, I, I'm very happy where I am. So I was at this other company for about six years. They do online research, like purely online research. And I moved into doing more healthcare online research at that company. Um, I eventually got into sales. Uh, it was a consultative sales position. And then when this new opportunity came up at M3, I was probably one of 15 employees at that time. Now we're over 200-something just in U.S. and Europe. Um, And I've been at M3 for probably close to six and a half years. And Mm. I started as an individual contributor in sales and kind of just worked my way up year after year on um, eventually running the entire U.S. division for three years. So I was the president of the company. 
um, until we merged our U.S. and our European offices together. And that's when I basically uh, started running uh, the European revenue as well. So just out of curiosity, what made you, I mean, why market research? So I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I worked in a market research job. I was in college now that I'm thinking back, it was some years ago. Um, And I mean, there was a really cool part of it, which was getting people to come in and try, you know, new Jolly Ranchers or whatever, you know, great new product was out and calling people who had just purchased, you know, Jaguars. I could probably literally rattle off the script for me asking people about their new vehicle (laughs) purchase because Uh I said it so many times. Um, But it it was never something that, you know, kind of stayed in my heart, so to speak. It was, you know, it was a pay the bills kind of job, although the money was, you know, pretty good for a person in college. How did you, what made you stick it out and say, okay, this is, I'm going to continue down this path. I mean, I got, I got that you thought you were going to go to school and do something else, but there's something that had to make you stick in there. Um, I, I graduated during the time of the, the internet, like the, the bubble bursting, uh, the dot-com burst. Yeah. So it was, it was very, very, very difficult to find a job. I was a communication major. Uh, what does a communication major actually do? don't really know. I was trying to find (laughs) anything. So um, I was, I literally thought in my mind, okay, this is going to be temporary. I'm going to go back and I'm going to see, my mom actually handed my resume to the owner of the company. And it was, it was kind of embarrassing, but cute at the same time. (laughs) My daughter, she needs a job here. (laughs) (laughs) You have like, um, what do they call them? Helicopter parents? Like, That's exactly what she did. She was like, you need to have my daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just wanted you to drop off my resume. (laughs) I mean, this is is back in like 2002. So I could have faxed it or, you know, my mom was my fax. So she (laughs) delivered it to them. Um, And, you know, they had a sense of familiarity with me, but um, I found the job very interesting and challenging because there was not that many of us that were um, running and managing projects and, that's one thing I, I really like doing is, you know, uh, being organized and, and running things from start to finish. Uh, I, d- I had a lot of leadership um, background in college and in, in high school, so uh, I, I liked running things. And so that's kind of what, what drove me as well as, you know, being unemployed and they were the only ones that were hiring me. So I love how honest you are. <laughs> I love how honest. <laughs> I mean, but I think this is a lot of people's story. Like, I mean, it is. seriously, that's, I, that's how I ended up teaching elementary school for 15 years. <laughs> yeah. I think what happens is you find yourself in a place. You think you have a plan. I, I mean, I went to school as a, sty- a psych major, not a psych major, a psych, <laughs> P-S-Y-C-H. Um, I was a psych major and I literally thought I was going to be a psychologist and I am a diversity and inclusion consultant. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that the skills apply, which I'm sure that in in your, your work, you probably find that you're your background and you know your your education helps you but um that's a pretty consistent story that you go to school for something you come out the job market isn't what you think your parents are like you need to get out of my house <laughs> um yeah. and at some point or another you land yourself into a position that ends up being you know working pretty well for you so with that i'm going to kind of you know take a, a little turn and say so what we've we've actually asked this question online so we're 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 testing it out on our podcast guest. So you're, you're being a guinea pig in lots of ways today. (laughs) So a couple of 
hours before we went um, live on this particular podcast, Amber and I were having a conversation about just how we we feel like we know interesting people and we know interesting women in particular. But we wondered if other women consider themselves to be interesting, right? Because we don't always think that we are interesting. Not at all. I think my life is very regular degular. <laughs> Kind of every day. Regular schmegular girl from <laughs> Texas, right? Like, but um, I asked a question on our Facebook, or my, on my personal Facebook, do you think that you're interesting? And I really was gearing it at women, but of course a lot of men chimed in. And one of the things that I noticed uh, automatically were that the men absolutely considered themselves to be interesting. And the women overwhelmingly were like, no, I'm not interesting. Oh, I was actually going to uh, reply to this on your Facebook. To- so you saw it. She saw <laughs> it. Okay, good. I going, That's great. I saw it. I saw it. I was actually going to put nope. But then um, uh, <laughs> only because like when somebody says like, um, like, are you like, are you fun? Like, like, or what's new or what, what's, what's going on? I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm like boring. Like I, I'm literally doing the same thing, but like I enjoy it. I think um, I'm. I'm interesting probably to the, the people around me because uh, I, have, I have a lot of a lot of energy. I'm always um, I'm always talking. I'm always doing something. I'm always needing to do something. But as far as like things changing like dramatically, like I'll like probably step into some like drama or something to to help out or to do something just to add a little bit more more spice into my life. Like you know. <laughs> That's why I watch reality television right there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I make my thing. I don't need to experience the drama. I just need to watch it on television, yeah. and that's it. For some reason, I just dive right in. Like, you know, nobody's doing something about something, and I'm just like, oh, you know what? Let me just stick my nose right in, and th- you know? So that's honestly why we wanted to interview you because we said, okay, she seems like she just picks up stuff and just, I mean, not just picks up stuff, but you seem to be really good at jumping in and making money for people, um, raising funds. So can you tell us a little bit about some ways that you've gotten involved and help people get money? Of course, that means people are probably going to try to find you after this, but (laughs) (laughs) I do think all of us could benefit from a little bit of insight into how to jump into a project or what kind of projects you jump into, um, and, and help people, you know, get the funds that they need. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually one of my favorite things to do is, is making, um, organizations money, helping people make money, helping people improve themselves so that they can, you know, make more money. Um, for as far as like organizations, like I also started a charity, uh, about four years back. It's called pharmaceutical market research, uh, uh, charities. So PMR charities. Um, and what we do is we, we basically, because we are researching, you know, in the healthcare field, um, you know, why not give back to the community? So some of the like events I've done that have, you know, rallied a lot of support for uh, certain organizations like Teen Cancer America, St. Jude, um, and some other organizations um, are, I've thrown galas. So it's, it's literally like throwing a prom all over again. Um, So uh, if, you need to throw prom or a gala. I can help you with that. Um, and okay. also, she's your girl. <laughs> yes. And that, that, and you, I'm glad you brought that up because that's part of your story. The prom. <laughs> yes. yes. 
Yes, prom. Tell us the prom story. <laughs> well, um, I was elected uh, the junior and senior class president of my high school, which was the second largest high school at the time in the state of Texas. I am from A Leaf. So a lot of people don't know A-Leaf because we're kind of forgotten because everybody thinks, oh, Sugarland, that's the nice side of town. <laughs> I'm from the other side of town <laughs> where almost everybody looked like you and me. I mean, it was yeah. uh, very diverse. I grew up in such a diverse community. And um, so in, in that instance uh, for raising money, I did a lot of uh, bake sales. Uh, rallied like pretty much every week and put people on a point system so they would be motivated to buy and sell so they could have a cheaper ticket. And I also um, work with, it was, it's Tom, it's called Tom Thumb here in Dallas, but it's called Randall's in Houston. And at that time they had a loyalty card program where you could take four digits and attach it to your loyalty card and say, hey, this school, this nonprofit is attached to this number. And we ended up raising over $60,000 in like a year and a half. So it was, it was a ridiculous amount of money. $60,000 from a loyalty card? So yeah, I mean, I've also put together um, golf scrambles. So uh, or- organizing and, and fundraising in, in that manner. What's um, a golf scramble? Okay, so, so I don't even play golf. I just bought some used golf clubs, but I don't know how to use them. Uh, but <laughs> you are Takia, we talked about this very in our first podcast. <laughs> we talked about brown girls just jump in and do they jump it. in. They don't care what it is. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? I can figure that out. Let's just we're gonna have this. So the fact that you just started with I've never done this before, but I figured that I could just jump in and figure it out is actually pretty in line with <laughs> our theme for the show. Everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd literally probably be the only brown girl golfing at one of these scrambles but it's just basically a golf tournament and then we give cash prizes so on average probably i've raised about 10 to fifteen thousand per golf event and for like the galas about like twenty five thousand. so it's 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 pretty good so i i would say one thing that i am good at is hyping people up and just getting people to do something you know i don't like when people say that they're going to do something and they don't do it just follow through with your actions you say you're going to commit to something Ooh, that's a it. pet peeve i get yeah, it and just do it <laughs> but um yeah i've helped other people with uh, golf scrambles um and galas so if, if you guys ever need help with any fundraising or planning um or you know even calling up people like since i am i have a sales background like i can help coach you in you know how to persuade uh to get donors. So it sounds like whether you realize it or not, you have just started your own business. um, (laughs) And that business is (laughs) teaching people how to raise money, specifically using your sales background and um, (laughs) coaching them on what they need to say to get people to participate in golf scrambles and galas. Like you have a gift. Um, And I, and I want to throw a little, a little, tidbit in there. I know you're laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. I'm sure that people are like, how can I get a hold of this girl? Because she knows how to raise money. That is it, it, money is a really sensitive thing. I think for um, the Brown community, I think we don't necessarily 
have a lot of financial knowledge. Um, those of us who do have it, we, we just generally are very reserved and mm-hmm. um, concerned around money. And that looks different as you dive into different uh, types of brown people. So, you know, there are the, the uh, brown communities where they're very heavy hitters on entrepreneurship. You've got the brown communities where um, you have to be a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, you know, something that is a professional career. You've got the brown communities where, you know, you absolutely must go to college and, you know, there, there's no debate about it. Um, and so, but I think just generally there's a theme of we have a lot of reservation and, and to some degree insecurity about money. Um, and so for, for you to be so comfortable and confident, like, you know, hey, I raised $25,000 here or, you know, $15,000 there, I think is is one of the things that makes you interesting. So your, your answer to the question is no longer nope. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I am interesting because I know how to raise money. <laughs> like that's, that is, it's a unique skill. And I definitely think it's a unique skill in the Brown community. Well, well thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I don't see a lot of Brown people doing sales roles it's it's really rare to see um and because it's hard <laughs> it is really hard it is really hard but you know um i i i have to forget sometimes i'm female i have to forget sometimes i'm young i have to forget sometimes i'm brown i have wow I have say more about that that was deep well it's it it's true you know when you are i mean i've always faced being the youngest. I look pretty young too. If my hair is in a ponytail, I'm straight up like 20 something and I'm brown. So like, there's, there's like, there's not many wrinkles. So you can't tell. That that sounds like a gift to me. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, um, I've always had to prove myself by, um, by the, by the knowledge that I've had. So it's, it's information. So for me, it's, I gather information. So I never do a hard sale. When I'm teaching my sales team, which is, you know, a, a variety of people from, you know, uh, all, all different colors of people, mainly, mainly guys um, that are older than me. And it's, it's just being, being myself, uh, not changing who I am and trying to be somebody else, but forgetting, forgetting that I may be, discriminated, which I, I have been uh, looked at, you know, it's like, oh, what is this little kid doing? And I'm sure it's like, what is this Indian girl doing here? You know, it's, it's mm. not, it's not typical of, you know, somebody like me in, in this kind of uh, position. So what I do is I try to gather as much information as possible. And it's more of a consultative cell. It's like, okay, um, I'll tell you what I know. And then, you know, it usually does surprise uh, certain people which I, I don't have to really do that much anymore because I have established myself in the, in the industry in a short period of time. But I remember in the beginning, I had to do that a lot. It's like, they, I knew when they looked at me, they doubted me. They're like, so it was almost like you felt like you were convincing, like I belong to be here. I, I deserve this space. Oh, I, I believed it. I believed it. And I'm a firm believer of, you know, whatever you call out in the universe actually pulls, pulls in with you. It's what drove me is showing that I can play the part showing that, yes, I know you're probably judging me for my age. You're probably judging me for my gender, maybe even for my, um, ethnicity, but you know what? I know more than you. 
I may be younger than you, but I know more than you. And I've done my research. So that's, that's what helped me overcome it. Because that was a huge challenge. I had a client once say, what is a 16-year-old doing moderating a session? I was 22. Um, mm. But, I mean, it's, it's really been the, the age thing that's, that's gotten to me. Ooh, that's a good, that's a good uh, topic because I think, um, you know, obviously our show is kind of hinged on thinking about diversity in different spaces and that kind of thing. But um, age discrimination, man, I think I've dealt with that before as well. And it's one of those things, I think, because myself being a black woman, I always think about who I am as a black woman. I, I don't even think about the fact that people may be treating me differently sometimes because of how old I am. And thinking of whether or not I deserve to be in that space commanding people who are older than me. It's very interesting. Yeah. So I grew up in such a diverse environment. Like, like I said, like everybody was like me or like you or Hispanic. It was, it was literally almost a quarter of every race. Mm. So it was so balanced that it wasn't really race that, you know, I, I, I ever questioned because it, growing up in Houston, Houston is one of the most diverse areas. So it's yes, Houston's like, super diverse. Yeah, Houston, Houston is super diverse, especially uh, the high school I went to was super diverse. Um, so I didn't have one ethnicity group of friends. It was everybody was everybody's friend. We never we never saw it any different. So um, I think that's what also helped me, um, you know, not be so conscious of of race or ethnicity, which I'm probably more conscious now because of what's going on in the political environment but uh not not so it's a little difficult right now <laughs> yes for uh a, a lot of people uh but i mean back then i mean the only thing that would i would focus on getting in my way is my age and maybe other things did get in the way but if i focused on that and i overcame it by thinking you know what i'm just going to i'm just going to be as smart as i can because if you can't beat me and, and challenge me into what I'm saying, you know, I must be doing something right. I like that. What are you working on now? What is it that you're excited about? What are you, what are you doing that's interesting that you are working on now that you want to share? Wow. Outside of work? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm going to help guide you too, Ronnie, and you tell me if you're okay with this. Okay. You volunteer a lot. That's actually how I met you yes. um, in junior league. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of your volunteer efforts and why it's important for you to be volunteering so much outside of work? Because you volunteer a lot, girl. I just don't, I don't know if I have the energy. <laughs> well, I don't have kids, so that helps. And I don't have a husband <laughs> that I know of, so that helps as well. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I really do enjoy helping people, which is uh, why I started um, the, I helped, oh, I was a co-founder of the PMR Charities um, Junior League actually inspired me to help people. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's very fulfilling to me. Um, even like during the time of Harvey, I'm from Houston. I had a lot of, you probably were sick and tired of my feeds. I was literally on Facebook, like 24 seven, trying to help rescue and coordinate. I'm never sick and tired of people who are trying to help other people. I feel like it, especially on social media, you see so much crazy arguing and foolishness that anything positive, I'm like, yes, share, share away. Yes, I need those rays. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just always been a passion of mine and I want to continue helping people. I think one of, one of the reasons why I work so hard 
as well as um, I I saw how how it was a struggle for you know my dad when he was younger. He was a refugee, um, you know, coming into India. So um, you know they didn't grow up with much, and for you know my dad to make it into the U.S you know, give my sister and I a great life, give my mom a great life and to work so hard. I, I want to give it, I want to give it back. I want to help others. You know, I seen how my dad helped others and how people helped him and his family who were refugees. So, um, it's just very important to me. And it's just a passion of mine. Like, I think the more successful I can be in my career, I have greater ability to help others. Like, I don't even blink twice if, you know, somebody's asking for a donation for something because it makes me happy if it's helping other people. And, you know, especially the the movement that you guys are doing, it's it's very inspiring because I personally wanted to take ballet and I wanted to be a brown girl that did ballet when I was younger. Yay! <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Yeah, and but my mom was like, no, you're going to do piano kids. (laughs) You know, you just touched on something that we didn't talk about before, but it's something that has popped up in a couple of our different interviews, um, being the child of immigrants to the United States. How do you think that may have shaped how you view your work now and what you want for future generations? Even if you don't, I hate when people are like, well, when you have kids, not everybody wants kids. Okay. I got trapped into it. I'm just joking. That's not true. I love my babies. I love my babies. Um, but w- how do you see where your family has come from, um, helping you on your journey? Yeah, I think, um, I think I had pretty supportive parents. Um, it's, it's odd for, um, immigrant parents encouraging their kid to, you know, run for student council president and, uh, then eventually class president and doing theater and all that stuff. Like I had a lot of friends that, you know, their parents were just all about studying. And I think, um, my dad, you know, going through the struggles he's faced, gave me whatever I needed. Um, and along with, uh, you know, the encouragement, um, it's, it's just inspired me to, to, to help others. Uh, there was not one thing that they said that I couldn't do. Um, I got into communications because of my mom. I wanted to be a pharmacist. I was a straight C student in pharmacy uh, and in chemistry. And my mom was like, you got to do something that makes you happy. And I know um, some some immigrant parents, that's that's not always a message. It's like, you got to be a doctor. Well, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor, uh, but like not me. So I, I think that was that was what helped propel me is my parents uh support because they had to leave their entire families they had to start you know everything from scratch here uh build it build you know around their new community new friends assimilate learn the language um and you know help us fit in as much as possible and that's i think that's what helps me be so humble and thankful. Okay. So Ronnie, what we want you to do in the spirit of the Brown Girls Do podcast, we have everybody complete this sentence. Brown girls do blank. So what what do brown girls do? How would you, how would you phrase that sentence? I mean, I just think brown girls do amazing things. If we're given the opportunity, we can do anything that anybody can do. And 
that's one of the reasons why I, I do mentor a lot of brown girls and brown guys. Um, because sometimes I see uh, some doubt in them that, you know, oh, you know what, I won't be chosen for this. But no, uh, brown girls can do anything. They literally can do it. So we want to thank Ronnie for being our second podcast guest. And one of the things that didn't make the cut, because we foolishly stopped recording before she said this, <laughs> um, she kind of told us a brief story about a young man she was talking to that she was a mentor for. And she, I mean, at this point, you now know she's hilarious. And she said, if you're feeling extra brown, just come talk to me. So, for all of you out there who are feeling extra brown, thanks for taking your time to spend your brown day with us on the Brown Girls Do podcast. We also want to thank Lemon Drop Media and Sounds Like Zoe for our intro and for helping to edit our podcasts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.